So glad you're in church on a uh, cold Sunday. Would you stand with me? Just trying to keep you warm. Just trying to keep you warm. Sit down, stand up, stay active. Here we go. We are going to look into God's Word in the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, where you see the bold text. Please read aloud with me. The Word of God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Praise the Lord. Even since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God, he says, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean, when did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then in verse 16, we're going to pick it up again. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On that day, and I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child." Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Lord, let us receive your word today as good soil. God, find us ready to bear fruit for you, Lord, and ready to work the ground of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Share the Joy Sunday, the next seven weeks. We're going to enter into a season of Kingdom Builders generosity that we have come to call Share the Joy. We promote it hard in November. We execute it hard in December. It's an opportunity for us to impact our uh, local mission field and our global mission field to advance the kingdom of God all around, and God is going to do it. It's going to be an awesome season. I can't wait for what the Lord is going to do through you and through me. I have the faith to believe, even before it's happened, that it's going to happen, and it is going to be powerful, powerful. Uh, And today we're going to talk a little bit about finances, about our souls and our money. And somebody may be new to Trinity in the room and thinking, I knew it. I knew it. Big church after our money. They're probably going to put an infinity pool on the roof. Friend, welcome to Trinity, and listen to me please today. Keep your money. 
If you're new, if you're checking out Trinity, if you haven't gone through growth track yet and you don't understand our responsibilities with our finances, you don't know what God's Word teaches about it yet, you haven't, um, you haven't understand the processes that money goes through as we give through Trinity and you don't have the confidence in it yet, friend, keep your money today. But do not check out of this service because you need to hear God's Word and understand His desires for you, what He requires from you. Um, don't get on Angry Birds right now. You can, you can relax and just watch all the Christians squirm in the room this morning. Um, but we're not placing any expectations on you in this moment, but it's what an opportunity to unlock your obedience and mature your faith and develop generosity in your heart. Um, and, I, and we do want you to gain understanding and confidence so that you can give cheerfully when you give here at Trinity. Um, and I don't want you to apply your money to something you don't understand. And I understand your church suspicion. If you're in the room and you have some apprehension, maybe you've heard of organizations that put the name of Christ on the door, but on the inside it's full of unchristian greed. Or maybe you've seen some twisting on this subject on your television. Um, but I, I pray that today you catch a vision and you see a community of faith that understands God's heart of generosity where it's being reproduced. And Trinity is a place where it's being reproduced. Thank you, Trinity, for being an abnormally generous church, for being odd and peculiar in what you do with your money. God has formed a generous character in so many people here, and it is beautiful, all caps, beautiful. It looks like Jesus. But I want that declaration to be said about all of us, every single one of us. And today, um, today it's a great opportunity for us, wherever we're at in, in our character development of generosity, to uh, grow in our understanding and be matured when it comes to this topic. Um, people seem to have the hardest time moving forward in the area of generosity. When it comes to their spiritual growth, this tends to be a very, uh, an area that is, it's the rough, to use a golf term. They don't just flow forward in their progression and in their growth in it, but it's difficult to move forward in the area of our possessions, of our resources, and our bank accounts. Um, and, and money can feel unspiritual. When we talk about it, it can feel self-centered. I'll be honest with you, I'd rather talk to you about sex than about money up here. It can feel unspiritual sometimes, but in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses is about your money. And that's why, you know, a couple Sundays a year, you're going to hear Pastor George talk about money. You're going to hear me talk about money because we would be doing pastoral negligence not to speak to you about something Jesus considered so important to your faith development and your growth. Um, and in uh, these days are funny. Um, all the tithers are amening today, and uh, these Sundays, you know who's who. Can I get an amen? Yeah, now everybody's, I see what you did there. Everybody's playing along. You're funny. <laughs> um, these, these days are, are fun, but I want us to really uh, understand what the Lord is saying in the book of Malachi and in, in all of Scripture, Old Covenant, New Covenant. What does God desire and require of me? Well, in the scripture, we just read a little context. Malachi is talking to the people of Israel, and in chapter one, he's talking to them about their diseased sacrifices. They were giving God their worst instead of their first. 
They were giving God what was left, and it was because, Malachi says, because they don't fear God. You know, when you're hosting like a very special guest at your house, I don't know who the most special guest you've ever had in your home is, but, uh, but you're hosting somebody that you're cleaning every inch of your house. You're cleaning areas that no guest is ever going to look at. You're getting underneath rugs, and you're getting in every nook and cranny, and, um, and you are considering with fear and awe the person that's coming into your home, and you want to give your best for them. Israel had forgotten that the king of kings is the one that they were communing with. They were giving him their worst and not their first disease sacrifices, so Malachi calls them to fear the Lord. And in chapter 2, he says, your priests are not giving knowledge and instruction appropriately. They're skipping, uh, they're skipping some of the harder teachings. They're going for all the, the sermons that are full of glitter and sugar and confetti. They're so sugar-coated, it's like, it's like eating a Krispy Kreme donut every Sunday morning. Uh, that's what Malachi says. And your priests need to return to a purity of their teaching. And, and because they're not giving knowledge and instruction, the relationships among you, we just spent three weeks talking about relationships here at Trinity, first comes love. Your relationships look ungodly, people are being unfaithful, and men are not committed to their wives. And the reason is because they have not resolved in their hearts to honor God. Chapter one, we're not fearing the Lord. Chapter two, we're not honoring the Lord. In the book of Malachi, we need to return to that. And, and you know here at Trinity, you see it on the doors when you walk through on a Sunday morning in 2022, we've been really connecting every week in some way to restoring honor. And, and God is, is God. He's not going to become more honorable. He's perfect. But we're restoring honor in our hearts so that we can give God the honor that he is due. We're restoring honor in our relationships, how we treat one another, how we talk to one another. And, uh, and that brings us to chapter 3. Malachi says, Jesus will come suddenly. He will purify church leaders. He's going to bring judgment on immorality and oppression. And all the people will then bring acceptable offerings. Somebody say acceptable. Acceptable. That's what I want my giving to be like. I want my worship, my heart before God, what I give to him to be sufficient, to be acceptable and pleasing to him to be sufficient and to be efficient. I want it to do something. When I give, I want there to be an impact. When I share the joy, I want other people to receive the joy. Um, and so, so he says, people's offerings are going to become acceptable. And, uh, and this, is, this is the call he gives. He says, but you need to return to me. We read it. It's the heart of this, this passage. He says um, in verse Number seven, he says, you must return to me and I will return to you. Then the people say, well, how can we return to you? He says, stop cheating me. Stop robbing me of the tithes. But the core of this isn't, isn't hey, everybody stop robbing God. The core of this passage is everybody return to God. Return to God. And your giving is a symptom of whether or not God has your heart. Uh, it's a faith issue. It's not an income issue. It is an issue of have you invested your heart in the Lord? Have you returned to him? That's, that's what we're talking about today when we talk about our giving. Return to me. How? Stop robbing me. If I don't have your tithe, I know that I don't have your heart. I don't have what is due me. Trust me. Test me. And receive a blessing. 
You know, in your earthly Christian journey, you may have uh, come across teaching on tithing, and you probably called it tithing. I think the first time you read it, you're like, what's the tithe? And, um, and then you learn, oh, okay, this is the tithe. It's just a mathematical term from antiquity that means one-tenth in the metric system. Maybe we could come up with another word, some deco word for this, but it means one-tenth, a tenth. We see it in Leviticus 27, 30 and 32. One-tenth of the produce of the land, the increase of your fields, whether grain or fruit, it belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the best part of everything you produce. God's not anti-wealth. Wealth is not the enemy and wealth is not evil. Do you know that greed is the enemy, but wealth is not? In fact, The Bible teaches us that God has given you the ability to create wealth. That is what God gives you. Sometimes prosperity teaching gets this wrong. We think God is just going to show up on our door with a big sack full of money. Or we're going to walk into our living room and God will have replaced it with a Scrooge McDuck vault of gold coins and we're going to dive in and go swimming. God gives us the ability generously. He gives us the ability to create wealth. We meet him in that. God's not anti-wealth. He's anti-greed. He doesn't want us to have a narcissistic heart so that when we create wealth, we think, look what I did. This is me. Look at me. Look what I, no, 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 no. Look what God has allowed me to do generously and graciously. Look what God has given me the ability to do. Um, so, so God says, honor me with your wealth in the best part of everything you produce. And we read there about uh, returning to him the first tenth of all in our fields and on our trees. That's why we say return the tithe. You don't give your tithe because the tithe doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Not only does it belong to God and we return it to him, but it is holy to God. It's sacred to God. So when we keep that first tenth of our income, Not only are we keeping something that belongs to him, we're keeping something that is very special to him because it's that that first piece of our hearts that he requires. It's the throne of our hearts. It's special to him. One observation, this isn't a scriptural claim, but uh, Bible observation, 10 is the number of testing in the Bible. There's 10 commandments. It's a test of your obedience. There were 10 lepers that Jesus healed and one came back. It was a test of their gratitude. One came back to worship. And when it comes to the tithe, it's a test of our trust. If you're taking notes today, the first thought I want to give you is that trust is the key to intimacy. The key to intimacy with God. God's after your heart. He's saying to Israel, return to me Revelation and breakthrough in this area is coming to your heart today as we talk about trust. I can trust you, God, with my soul. I know I can trust you, God, with my eternity, yet I have a problem trusting you with my paper. I trust God with my entire eternity, my whole soul, and I have a a problem trusting God with my dollars, with my wallet, 
But, but this area just seems to be an, an area that people have difficulty in growing in. And I think that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about it, because he wants to purify our faith and our trust in him. God is saying, when you don't return the tithe, you're communicating that you don't trust me. How can we have intimacy when there is no trust? Intimacy happens in the security of belonging. It's when we say, I feel safe being vulnerable with you, emotionally, physically. In our, uh, in our relationships, intimacy is, in our, our marriages, uh, intimacy is the foundation of everything between a husband and a wife. I think a lot of people get this background or backwards. They have a hundred problems and they don't realize it's an intimacy problem. Um, people get this backwards in dating. They think, I want intimacy, so I will have sex, and sex will lead to intimacy. How many of you know who have been married for a little while? That's backwards. It's not that sex leads to intimacy, but intimacy leads to sex. No one's discovered that? I've discovered that, praise the Lord. (laughs) Maybe something just got unlocked for you today. Praise God. (laughs) Um. But people get this backwards. If you can't trust your friends, you're not going to be close with them. You're not going to tell them your secrets if you can't trust that they're not going to blab it. So you're going to lock up, zip up that mouth, you're going to throw away the key. You cannot have intimacy without trust. If you can't trust your spouse, you're not going to have intimacy in your marriage. If you cannot trust your kids with the car, they don't get the keys. You don't have trust with your friends, you're going to have surface friendships in no real depth. You can't trust your kids to live with, uh, to have appropriate conversations and live with purity, they don't get a cell phone. You can't trust them to behave themselves outside of your presence, they don't get to go to the social events. If you want to have intimacy and connection, if you want to, if you want to have intimacy and connection, it comes back to trust, trust. Trust is given, distrust is earned. And when distrust is earned, it's earned quickly. Trust is, trust is gathered in drops, but trust is lost in buckets. Um, and uh, there's a story in the Bible about who God trusts, and it's a story about money. It is uh, the parable of the talents. A master's going on a journey, and so he gives to to three of his servants, talents, uh, sums of, of money to oversee. One he gives five talents to, one he gives two talents to, another one he gives one talent to. And I think to my friends who, um, to my friends who are struggling in their ideology and their views, and maybe you're a Christian socialist, you read this passage and you say, what, hold on, this kind of breaks some of my thinking. That's Jesus, no, no, don't give five and two in one. You have 2.67 talents repeating to all of these people, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't. And this isn't a political message, but that's just for, for your own um, understanding as you consider your views on things that this scripture really messes with us in some different ways in our understanding of Christ. Five talents, two talents, one talent. Goes on the journey, comes back. The one who has five has doubled it to 10. The one who has two has doubled it uh, to four. And the one who has one was lazy and wicked, was apathetic, buried their talent, didn't do anything with it, and they get reprimanded by the master. 
And that one is taken from that servant. And the, the wealth is not redistributed evenly, no. That one is taken from that servant. It's actually given to the one who has 10. What is really happening here? That one is taken from that wicked and lazy servant, and it's given to the one the master trusts. The one the master trusts. I want to talk to you about you. What is God entrusted to you? Is God entrusting anything to you? And what have you entrusted to God? Do you trust him today? God says, trust me and test me. He requires and desires us to return that tithe to him. Trust is a... uh, Trust is often used when we're naming banks in the financial world. It's a term that means a contract. A trust is a contract that gives the authority to hold the title of legal assets, uh, of, to, to manage assets by one party when those assets belong to the, the other party, um, to manage them for the benefit of others. It's a fiduciary capacity for a client's that a bank becomes responsible to manage your assets. M&T Bank Stadium, it's named uh, after the manufacturers and traders trust company. It's a trust. So what does that mean? It means that you can trust a bank because if an employee defrauds you, if, if one of the bank tellers drains your account and goes down the ocean and spends it all on pina coladas or whatever, you can trust that bank because it's federally insured to replace your money up to $250,000. You can trust it. And it's a federal crime. It's a felony. So that bank teller down the ocean is going to get thrown in jail where the pina coladas are different. And they, are, they don't think they serve them at all. Um, You can trust the bank, and so you trust that trust. Investments are a little bit different. They're not federally insured. If your investor loses it all, it's gone. And all you get is an I'm sorry and a pat on the back. Uh, It's a higher level of risk. But sometimes we, we look at God, and we treat him like it's just a gamble. It's beyond a bank. It's beyond investment. It's just straight up gambling to give your God your money because we don't trust him. But God says, test me. You want to see what you'll yield? Test me. Trust me. I'm your trust. When we do this, first and foremost, we do it to obey him and honor the king who we love. But also, we do it because we get a guarantee from God that this 90% will go further than this 100%. This 90% that that we keep after we tithe, this 90%, blessed is going to go further than the 100% not blessed. And the reality is that this 90% blessed is going to go further than the 130% or 140% that a lot of us are living on through our credit cards and through our borrowing. And when we're not treating our, we're not doing our finances God's way, we end up, we end up overextending ourselves because it doesn't matter how much you get that's not blessed. It'll never be enough. God will take care of our needs when we take care of his pleasure. I trust you, God. I want to be close with you. I don't want to have a hard time moving forward in the area of generosity. Help me, Lord. Tithing is not paying a bill. It's not like rent or utilities or childcare. 
Uh, you know, something Pastor George said that really s- stuck with me last year is that tithing isn't me giving God his allowance. It's God giving me my medicine. Giving my heart, it's cough syrup. It's generosity syrup. It's selfishness syrup so that I don't live with a sick heart. It gives force to my resources and meaning to my money. Tithe is not a fundraiser. God is not up there trying to finish the streets of gold with this big thermometer thing, and he's like, guys, come on, come on, guys. Malachi 3, come on, guys, tithe. I mean, that's not what tithing is. He wants to bless you. He wants your heart to return to him. God has abundance for you. It's not something we need from you. It's something we want for you. This is, uh, this is how we understand tithing today. And you, you may have came in here and been like, share the joy I saw, the gifts. I thought we were going to talk about generosity. We're going to get there. But it starts here. Um, here's $10 bills. They're real. Not trying to brag, but... Um, <laughs> Um, so, so a lot of us operate this way, and this is just misconceptions about tithing, and I want to help us through it. So a lot of us this, live this way. We get our paycheck, we get our income, and uh, first, maybe we pay our rent or our mortgage, and so that's this dollar here, and maybe it's $2, because that's probably your biggest ex- expense, and then, um, you know, you got to pay your utilities on top of that, and keep the lights on, and keep your house warm or cold or whatever you need it, uh, then, you know, you got to pay for, for child care if you got kids, and, and that's, a, that's a big piece. Or, or you, have to, um, you have to pay for groceries, and maybe it's costing you a little more than it used to when you're buying groceries, and you're buying gasoline right now. And if you got, you know, some people in your home that like to eat, there's a, a lot of money, and you're like, okay, I'm already kind of down here. And so I want to, uh, man, I really need to go on a date night. I want to have a date night. And so there's that. And well, um, uh, Disney Plus and Netflix are raising their prices these days. And some people subscribe to that or they want to go see a movie or whatever. And then um, you're, you're, you're kind of getting low and you're like, man, I really want that, that new pair of shoes or that purse. Or I, I know, uh, you know, this, this uh, PlayStation 5's dropping or whatever is happening. And so, oh, look at that. I can tithe. That's not the tithe. No, no, no. That's not the tithe. Let me go back to that first dollar. This is the tithe. You see, this, giving this first, this is an abundance mindset. That last one, that's a scarcity mindset. That, this first dollar right here, this is faith. This, first dollar, this is obedience. This is convenience right here. This is honoring God and putting him first. This is giving him the worst. You can either give God what's left or you can give God what's right, right? And so that's how we understand our tithing. And, and you know, when you, when you give first, when you tithe first, then when you get into to this other money here, then 
this is all consecrated and blessed by God because your heart posture is pointing towards the Lord and not away from the Lord, as Pastor George talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and Abraham a few weeks ago. And so now when, when you're enjoying this, this money that you have left over, then you're having fun with favor. Then God's a part of your Disney trip, and God's a part of your fun times, and he's a part of your date night, and that doesn't have your heart, but God has your heart, and he's there. And so that's how we understand tithing. It's not a tip. It's a tithe. Um, and I just want to mention briefly, tithing is a principle that precedes the old covenant law. A lot of people say, oh, Leviticus and old covenant giving, and I think Jesus set me free from that. This is a, tithing is a principle that precedes the law. It happened by a man, uh, when a man of faith was called to get up and leave his country and take everything he knew and uproot and go to somewhere that God was going to show him. That's crazy. You know, with foresight, we call it crazy. In hindsight, we call it faith because we see what God does. And that man's name was Abraham. And Abraham was visited by someone, and, and he gave a tenth of all he had as a sacrifice, as an offering, as a blessing unto God, to this person. And the question there was, Abraham, do you really believe that I'm going to make a great nation out of you? He hasn't seen it yet. Do you really believe that I am? And Abraham tithes. Abraham, do you really believe your kids are going to be like the stars in the sky, Abraham? And Abraham tithes. And he gives a tenth. And so I think a lot of people say today, you may have heard this popular phrase now, I'm part of the New Testament church under new covenant grace, and I'm a grace giver. Um, this comes from a reading of Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 that talks about spiritual gifts. It says, give according to the grace that's been given to you. It talks about one person has been given uh, the gift of mercy. One t- person's been given the gift of prophecy, and you need to give what has been given unto you. And this is a wrong reading of that scripture. It's about serving the church with spiritual gifts. It's not about your finances. You can't, you can't make scripture mean whatever you want it to mean and read it however you want it. Uh, that's a problem in the world today is we're assigning whatever meaning we want to things. But this is what the word says. And we also see that Jesus endorses tithing in Matthew and Luke, a continuation of tithing. He calls the Pharisees out for failing to acknowledge God in their hearts, but wants them to continue tithing. He says, you're tithing, that's good, but you're not doing this, this, and this. And so Jesus honors tithing. I like the way Rob Ketterling talks about grace giving. He's a Minneapolis pastor who is with us in September, and he says this in a good way. He says, anyone who identifies this way is a grace giver. Rob says, that's okay, I want to come back to them and ask them, great, you know, great, very good, but how much more than 10% are you giving? You're a grace giver. Grace goes beyond the bare minimums of the law, of what the law requires us to do. Grace goes beyond the legal requirements, so are are you giving 30%? Most people who identify this way are never giving above and beyond 10%. Usually it's 3% or it's whatever if you press them on it. And, And when we're operating in grace, okay, How much beyond them? Because, I mean, if we really want to break down the math, 100% of my sins have been forgiven. If you want to go with that amount, okay, praise God. (laughs) But grace, when we're giving gracefully, that means we're giving beyond. Our giving goes up. It doesn't go down from that legal prescription of the old covenant. Um, and, And, you know, there's some people that really struggle with that 10% amount, maybe because of how much they make. 
I make too much money to tithe. That check would be huge. That would be a big amount. I don't want to give that month. I can't give 10%. I'd say, well, God can always lower your income to the amount you're comfortable tithing on. Um, here's the, the second thought, and I, I'm going to move quickly here. This is when we're going to move beyond tithing. Once we start walking in that tithe, we're saying, God, I've returned to you with my heart and everything in my life, even the hardest parts of my life are going to identify that they belong to you because I trust you and I want to be close with you and I want to have intimacy with you. So I want you to know you have my heart and I'm going to be a cheerful, cheerful, cheerful giver. Cheerful giving comes before a delightful land. This is point number two today. We read it in Malachi 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. Pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it and put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes won't fall from the vine before they're ripe. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. You are going to enjoy where you live. You're going to look around you and smile and smile and smile because you're going to see God in what you have. And again, I'm not jumping into the Scrooge McDuck prosperity here, but I'm going to tell you that because the Lord is blessing and he's making holy and sacred, what it ha- it's going to be quality. You're going to enjoy your possessions. Your house might not be the biggest house in the street, but your house is going to be your favorite place to live. Your family is going to be your favorite family to have. Everything you see is going to have a touch of the grace of God on it. It's sacred. It's been consecrated to him. And you're going to look around and you're going to be delighted in it, and other people are going to see it and see the blessing of God on you. All nations will call you blessed. So here's the delight cycle. If you're taking notes today, write this down, maybe write it in a big circle, because if first you're a cheerful giver, if first you return to him, if first you give him the tithe, then your land will become delightful. First comes the cheerful giver in faith, then comes the delightful land. I think a lot of us say, well, God, delight me with what I have. Let me smile at my bank account, and then I'll become a cheerful giver. That's not how it works. Again, that's backwards. First comes the cheerful giver that God loves. Then comes the delightful land. The cheerful giver receives God's blessing. It's accepted by God. They experience intimacy with God because they're trusting him. And his approval, they're experiencing the goodness of God in their hearts, and it makes them want to see more of God's goodness. It makes them want to increase their generosity. And when they see more being given to God and God, being, God doing more with it, it then increases their joy. So I start with cheer. I start with joy in my heart. I'm a cheerful giver. And then comes a delightful land. And it makes me want to give more, so it increases my generosity, which then increases my joy, and it starts all over again. It's a delight cycle that we interrupt with unbelief, and we interrupt when we don't have faith. Malachi 3.17 says it this way, says it this way, they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies, on the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. God's delight is wrapped up in this too. The, the pleasure God takes is wrapped up in this. That, that word in the Hebrew um, is the word segula, and it means jewels. They're going to be my jewels. These people that believe and they trust and they're acting in faith, 
taking delight in them. They're my jewels. I think a lot of times when we talk about giving and serving, we use the phrase, oh, getting a jewel in my crown. Some of you, some of you give so much, you're just, you're just going to be crusted with jewels in heaven. But we don't always think about the jewels in God's crown. That you are a jewel. When the Lord takes delight in you, when he sees your faith, God is, is being glorified in you. Um, last thought today is that generosity is the most effective in the face of adversity. In the biggest return on your investment, when generosity means the most and when it packs the biggest punch is when you're going through a hard time. You may say, well, Anthony, I know we're going in to share the joy and we're in heart for the house and we're being kingdom builders and we, we tithe before all that because that's first base and Pastor George has walked us through the bases of giving and uh, we don't want to run to second base or third base first or try to steal home, but, but we're tithing first and we're doing all these things, but, but you know, there's some heavy expenses, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime expense that's staring me in the face right now. My house needs a new roof, or there's a wedding, or there's a special moment in my family, or my kid needs Invisalign, or, or whatever the case may be, and this is a hard time for me right now. Let me tell you, if somebody gives you a cup of water, that, is, that touches you. But if you're in the middle of the desert, and you're dehydrated, and you're starving, and somebody gives you a cup of water, that gift doesn't just touch you. That gift changes your life. And in adversity, when times are leaner, when times are harder, when inflation's going up 1% after 1% after 1%, when we make an impact in the kingdom of God, when we meet people in their needs, generosity has the biggest effect in adversity. When there's things against us. 2 Corinthians 9, 2 and 11 through 13 says, I know your eagerness to help and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, I've been telling them ever since last year that you are ready to give and your, and your enthusiasm has stirred them to action. So you're cheerful givers. You're ready, ready to be generous, even in hard times. That's making other people in hard times excited to be generous as well. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Every occasion means the worst occasions. Every occasion means every season of your finances. It's every season of your family. God is going to put something in you to bless others with, to give to others. He's going to bless you to give to others. You'll, you'll have something so that you'll be, you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God this is, uh, this is something I know. Giving in hard times is tough. But giving in hard times produces a greater reward. It produces more joy, which leads to more cheerfulness. It shows God how much you trust him, which brings you into greater intimacy with God. The greater the trust, the greater the intimacy. And today I'd like you to ask this, and just not think with fear, but think in faith. What could God do in me and through me in a leaner season? If, if 2023 is, is rougher than 2022 has been financially, God, what can you do through me? If this holiday season is tough, if you're out of work, if you're, if you're living in a lean time of famine in your life, God, what can you do through me? What can you do? 
adjust me so that I can be an effective difference maker during hard times. Make me a lean, mean, generosity machine. Again, generosity has very little to do with your income and resources and everything to do with your heart. Everything to do with your heart. He's looking for that heart that trusts him so he can give that, that next talent to, and that next talent to. Jesus was in the temple and he was with the disciples and they were in a place where they were observing people giving and many people were giving with some celebration and tooting their horn and a lady comes up and she's a widow and she doesn't have much and she just throws in a mite, call it the widow's mite, throws it in and Jesus said, hey, did, did everybody just see that? Did everybody just catch what just happened here? You didn't hear a trumpet when she gave. You see what just happened? She gave more than everybody else because she's trusting God the most. Disciples were like, oh, okay. We had it backwards. We had it backwards. The generosity rhythm we've established at Trinity has a weekly flow to it. It's not just like two Sundays a year, certain Sundays, certain people do all the giving and that's our generosity rhythm. No, it's weekly. We're kingdom builders year round here, but we are entering into a season during this holiday season where we're putting a specific focus to the vision of what we're asking God to accomplish and asking you to support. Share the Joy is this Kingdom Builders initiative that we promote in November. We execute it in December. We've identified three global partners and three local partners that over the next seven weeks, we want to dramatically bless. As they're going through hard times, as they've experienced loss, as they're going through a lean season, we want to make life-changing and kingdom-advancing investments into their ministries so that we see God being glorified. Um, I want to challenge you. First of all, return the first tenth to God. Predecide what you're going to give. That's strategic giving, not spontaneous giving. You always give strategically when you value something. I value my house. I will strategically, I've predecided to pay my rent next month, to pay my mortgage, because I would like to stay in that house. I value it. When you value something, you move. Spontaneous giving is great, but we move from spontaneous to strategic giving because that's where we place the value of our hearts. We return to God. Um, so I want to challenge you, as you delight in that blessed life, give generously beyond the norm. This holiday season, I'm sure the Amazon catalog already arrived at your house. Do not let your toy collection get in the way of your joy collection. This share the joy season. We're kicking off Share the Joy today. If you give online, you'll see it in the drop-down menu. Kingdom Builders, Share the Joy. Think about what you can do during this season. Philippians 4.17 says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Pastor George is going to come share uh, a story about someone who was challenged in that way and responded. And uh, as he comes, I just want to to tell you, if you want to become a cheerful giver, ask God to place an amount on your heart to give that'll make you laugh. Some of you will catch up with that later. Ask him to put a, an amount on your heart to give to him that'll just make you just laugh and you'll be a cheerful giver. Thanks, Pastor George. Thank you, Anthony. Would you express your appreciation to him for sharing God's word in a way that is... Uh, understandable, discernible as we think about giving 
one of my goals, one of our goals as church leadership is we're not here to just kind of crank you up emotionally at certain times to give and to get, but we want your generosity to be part of who you are as a disciple. This is who we are. This is the, this is the character of God that's being revealed in us. Jesus did not come and give his life just because he was excited about us just on an emotion. He came determined to go to the cross, knowing everything that we would do and everything that it would take so that his generosity could be shared with us. So I think about Trinity, and I think about uh, we're doing this Heart for the House next Sunday. Uh, you're going to see a significant transformation. Any of you that are, have fallen in love with these rear projection screens after service, you can come up and touch them. They're going away. They won't be here next Sunday. But there are, there are many things we're doing through Heart for the House. You're giving, I think, right now is about $360,000 that have come in for Heart for the House. And then Kingdom Builders and Share the Joy, we're going to be talking about that uh, in a couple, uh, two weeks from now. But as we sit here in this sanctuary, uh, how many of you realize it took money to build this sanctuary? Somebody had to pay for it. It didn't just uh, kind of just show up. There wasn't just somebody who walked into the bank and put millions of dollars in the bank account of Trinity, but there were people who made commitments. And I want to honor one of those couples today. This couple is not with us. They're... Uh, walking the golden streets. Uh, they've, they've gone to be with Jesus. In fact, one of the, the couple, uh, Ginger Gandhi, uh, left us just over a year ago. On the screen, you're going to see a photo of uh, Jack and Ginger. Many of you didn't know Jack, but uh, some of you, Jack is there in the center. Uh, many of you knew Jack from, from years ago, um, and, and he went home much earlier to, to be with the Lord. But it was 1989, and Trinity is predating me being here, but Trinity was talking about building this sanctuary, what we call the Baldwin Activity Center, was the main sanctuary. 1989, Jack was 60 years old. He had worked for his company for 37 years. He was eligible for retirement. He had already put in his information. He wanted to retire, and he'd take his benefits and go uh, play golf or whatever for the rest of his life. But when he heard that there was a need to build this sanctuary, Jack uh, went back to the office and he said, uh, I'd like to stay on with some concessions because I'd like to keep working so I can give to the uh, new sanctuary at our church. Well, at the regional office, they turned Jack down and they said, no, you've got to, you can't do this. You've already turned in your resignation. Well, if you put the photo up there one more, one more time uh, for me, Mike. The, uh, the man on the left was the CEO of this uh, national company. The CEO found out and overturned the decision at the regional office so Jack could continue to work with concessions so that Jack could give more money to this sanctuary to see it built. I want to tell you, that's the kind of people that are here, but more important than that, that's the kind of God that we serve that can say to a CEO, no, you need to reverse this because this man is doing my work. When you're giving to God's house, when you're giving to God's work, God can supersede in your, in your, and superintend in your situation and change things and turn things around. And, and things that have been built here are not built. Some people walk in and say, oh, it's a big church. There's lots of money people. No, there's not lots of money people. There's just lots of people who know that their money belongs from God, comes from God, and they give generously. So uh, Jane, raise your hand there. Jane is Jack and Ginger's daughter that's sitting there. And uh, Jane came. Jane, uh, let me just add this. Jane 
part of part of their legacy. So that was 1989. Jane, what what year was it? Good Friday that 1999. Ten years later, is it okay if I just tell a little bit of your story, Jane? Jane was a prodigal. Jane was working in New York. Was living a life that uh, was not pleasing to God. But she came in and sat in the sanctuary that Jack and Ginger helped pay for. Sat right right back on this side. Had come down to visit her parents. Came to Good Friday service with them. That Good Friday, we were handing out nails, something that would have been maybe of the size that would have been used on the cross. Ten years after Jack decided that he was going to keep working to help build this sanctuary, ten years later, his daughter came back from New York, gave her heart back to Christ, and has been serving God ever since that time. So you, you never know the side benefits. You never know what else God is doing in it. But God is faithful. And he wants us as uh, believers to be tithers, to be generous people, to build his church. And you know, we're, sometimes uh, come in and maybe you've just gotten saved and it's a struggle and I, my budget, we understand that. And we're, we don't come after you. We don't come after anyone and say, you're, you're, you know, you're not tithing. It's, just, it's a personal matter between you and God, but it's a very, very important matter. Because as, as Anthony so eloquently shared today, it's, it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's a matter of the heart. When you buy Christmas presents and you get together with your family, why are you giving those presents? Hopefully it's, it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? It's because you love your children, your parents, your, your family members. And that's what God calls us to. Giving is just a matter of the heart. Would you stand with me and let me pray for you? And maybe you're struggling in the area financially and you're saying, Pastor, I just wish I had more to give or I wish I had a job. I, you know, we understand that. God will take you through that season. Put your trust in him. He'll take you through. But then sometimes we, we uh, allow our attitude and our mindset to be dictated by, by Wall Street instead of being dictated by God's Word, the God who is always faithful, the God who always supplies our needs. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you and for your principles and your precepts, which always work. There is not a country, there is not a year, there is not a season. They do not work. They always work. So we come to you and say, people, we, God, we want to be people of the word. We want to show that we trust you and we believe you. And even in lean times, you can bring us through. Lord, thank you for Jack and Ginger Gandy, for people who just set a high bar for the rest of us. You said our, our commitment to God's house, not even realizing that a decade later, the daughter would come back to faith in this place. Lord, you're such a wonderful God. And we know that these aren't just... Uh, things that are coincidental. These are things that you've aligned and arranged in our lives. Our giving is important to you, and it's important for the legacy and the future of us and our families. Lord, I pray for those here that do not have a personal relationship with you. This might seem like one of the biggest turnoff sermons ever, just to talk about money. But Lord, I know that you love them, and you sent your best, Jesus Christ, to give his life for them. As they at this moment say, Jesus, I admit my brokenness. I admit that I'm selfish as a person. We're all selfish. I, I put my trust in the one who died on the cross and rose on the third day. And somehow, I'm going to start living for him. As they make that their decision, Father, may they find the joy and the delight that we've heard about today. 
We thank you for people who've come to faith and people who've started this journey, the journey for an eternity with you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing. We're going to sing Build Your Church together.